0: Hey ladies, welcome to the Woman Podcast. My name's Katie Beza, and I'm your host. And this episode is a continuation of a teaching series that we have started this year in 2021. So our good friends Rebecca Shatswell and Heather Hoyt will be leading us through the Gospel of Luke. And this teaching is recorded live at New Life Church in Conway. If you're local and you'd like to join in person, we would love to have you. We meet Thursdays at noon. And we hope this resource helps you as you you read along in the book of Luke, and we hope that it encourages you that you can read the Word of God and you can get something out of it. So tune in, and we hope you enjoy. Hello, ladies. How are y'all doing today? Are you sleepy? Seems like a little bit of a sleepy crew. (laughs) Oh, you want to be outside, because it's 66 degrees outside and beautiful. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Um, Okay. Well, I am super pumped uh, to get to be with you in person, and not just on the podcast. And I know what you're thinking. She has a lot of hair. It's true. I do. I'm a little Pentecostal right now, except I have makeup and pants on. But um, no offense if you grew up in any of that way. Um, uh, But... (laughs) I, uh, listen, are you enjoying studying through Luke so far? I'm thoroughly enjoying this and I absolutely love getting to sit under my sister's teaching. As you guys have figured out at this point, she is what I like to call a sneaky sniper because she will come in and with you, some with uh, shoot you with some truth and like hop out of the way before you even know you've been hit with it, right? Do you guys feel like that? She comes in and she's like pop with some truth, and then she moves on and she's like, Let's pray, let's end this. And I'm like, What? Hold up, that was like a revelational moment for me, right? Well, I, I'm so thankful for my sisters and I've got to tell you um, generally I, I think that if there's anything that I have learned or do well in my life 95% of it I have learned from my sisters and uh, I am the baby of the family, the wild hair, uh, fly by the seat of my pants, way less structured. Uh, my sisters are the ones telling me, hey, don't touch that, it'll burn you. And I'm the one sticking a hot car cigarette lighter to the end of my nose. Um, yeah, it happened. It did. You're like, Is she like lying right now on the mic? No, no, no. It really did happen in the next day with school pictures. Um, so there's evidence that it actually did happen. Um, and so aren't you glad I get to teach you today? <laughs> (laughs) God help us with wisdom by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Okay. So um, we are actually going to step back to one story right here in chapter 7 before I open up with chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you want to open up to Luke's chapter 7 and 8. Luke's. I just said Luke's plural. Luke chapters 7 and 8. Um, And this is a really powerful moment. You'll recognize this moment. Jesus is anointed with the woman with the alabaster jar. I love this story, and I feel like it's on God's heart for us today. And so I wanted to hit that before we go into chapter 8. So let me set this up for us. Jesus has been invited by a Pharisee named Simon. Simon. Uh, to come and have dinner. And it says in verse 37, when a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. She knelt behind him at his feet weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. She wiped them off with her hair. She kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. But when the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet... He would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And then Jesus did exactly what he does. We'll see it all throughout the gospel. He addresses someone's thoughts. And he speaks to to Simon. And he says, Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon answers, okay, teacher. He said a man loaned uh, uh, two different people money, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces of silver to the other, but neither of them could repay the debt. And so he forgave both of them canceling their debts. So who do you suppose loved the man more? And Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said, that's right. And then the Bible says that Jesus turned toward the woman but spoke to Simon, okay? This is one of those moments. Put yourself in the moment. Put yourself in this story. Look at what's happening here. Jesus turns to the woman, but he addresses Simon. I like to think he's over here where my finger's pointing. He addresses Simon, right? And he says, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you did not offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the first time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you her sins, and they are many. They have been forgiven." So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Then the men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? Now, I don't know about you, but that's probably not gonna be my first thought if I'm sitting at that table. Because can I tell you what has just happened? Jesus has just schooled Simon. Do you know that in Jewish, in the context of Jewish culture, it was common for them to have a basin and water at the front door of every home to wash the dust from the feet of the guests who come in the home. This is common courtesy right here, right? And so they don't have paved roads like we have. They're walking around on dust and rocks. So every time they enter the home and the Jews considered the feet the filthiest part of your body, I'm with them, amen. Anybody else not a lover of feet? I am not a lover of feet. Um, And so Jesus is telling him, You didn't even give me the most common of courtesy when I walked into your house. You allowed, can you imagine this? He allowed the Son of God to come into his home and stay with dirt on his feet, just sit there in the dirt. And then he says, but this woman has washed my feet with her tears and with her hair. You didn't hug me when I came through the door. So he's elevating it a little bit, right? We had basic common courtesy of washing of feet. And then he says, you didn't even hug me and she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. Well, then he elevates it one more time and says, you didn't give me the courtesy of anointing my head with oil that shows honor and respect for who he is, but she has poured out a very expensive perfume on my feet. This moment he is saying, Simon, you have treated me less than common, but this woman right here, she has poured out great affection. And uh, Rebecca was talking the other day and she was asking questions about this moment about what Jesus is saying, was the woman dealing with great sin and therefore great love? Was Simon dealing with great sin? Um, And here's what I think. Uh, I could be wrong about this, but I think what he's actually saying here isn't that the woman was dealing with great sin, therefore she had great love and Simon only had a little bit of sin. So he only had a little bit of love. I think what is likely is that Simon only realized a little bit of his sin. I think he did not recognize because this whole posture that's happening here is pride. If the Son of Man enters your home and you neglect common courtesy, you're arrogant. You are thinking way too highly of yourself. And Jesus is telling him, this love is being lavished on me from someone who recognizes that I am who I say I am, who is willing to pour out an expensive offering of worship before me and it will not be neglected or passed over or hidden. He is, he is directing the men of the room and this is a heavily patriarchal society. He has stopped the room and said, look at the woman, see her. See what she is doing. I am valuing the most marginalized person in the room. I am stopping the room. And I have turned my posture toward her. But I'm addressing you because I'm asking you to look at her the way that I'm looking at her. See her the way that I am seeing her. Value her the way that I am valuing her. And ladies, I wanna tell you, the reason that as females in the kingdom of God, we have value is because of the way that Jesus handled women. And we are about to watch all throughout. You can read all throughout the Gospels. Look at what he did with women. Look at how he spoke to them. Look at when he honored them. This wasn't commonplace in Jewish culture. Jesus, the son of God is saying, hey, to the most marginalized of your society, women, especially women who were considered immoral, they're like lower than low. I'm about to bring them into the light because they've been hidden for far too long. And I just want you to know that this is what your Savior does. He elevated the status of women. And not only that, but he asked everyone in the room, Simon, look at her. Look at her. And then she breaks open this alabaster jar and all of a sudden the fragrance of her worship fills the room. There's no way that they can miss this, right? That fragrance, that expensive perfume, it is filling the room. But what I want to say is that oftentimes when extravagant worship fills the room, those who have treated Jesus casually will be offended by it. And we have to be careful. We have to be so careful because criticism of, of someone else's worship is actually an indicator that we think way too highly of ourselves and way too commonly of Jesus because he is worthy of more dance than I have in my bones. He is worthy of more words than I have in my vocabulary. He's worthy of more songs than I have in my soul and my belly. He is worthy of more than I have to offer him. I can't get low enough before him like this woman did. I can't get low enough before him. And I wanna encourage you, if you have a moment and you see women or men, it doesn't matter, offering an extravagant worship to Jesus, I wanna encourage you to allow that moment To renew your mindset that he is worth way more than we are capable of giving him, and let it actually push you and encourage you to give a more extravagant expression of praise before him. Amen. Amen. Chapter 8. Chapter 8. So here we have, Jesus is moving on. And and what we see, it says, soon after Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. Side note, if there's good news, that means there's bad news. And I think the people have been far too aware of bad news and he is coming to bring the relief. He's coming to bring himself into these moments, amen. And it says, he took his 12 disciples with him, catch this, along with some of the women, that he had cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, whose scholars say that that's who they believe was the woman with the alabaster jar. Do you realize that? Not only did she have a moment with Jesus where she poured out an offering, but an invitation was extended to this woman to join him in ministry. This is incredibly powerful for us to understand. So along with her, Mary Magdalene, whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Chuza Hera's business manager, and Susanna and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. We're talking about independently wealthy women. These are women who are known. These are not just women um, who are not known around the town. They're independently wealthy. They are financing the ministry of Jesus. And you know I have to say what I really love about this moment is it doesn't say that they went with him to make sandwiches. And there's nothing wrong with hospitality. I've worked in hospitality for the last 10 years. It is a blessed position and I love it. I would not trade a day of it. But these women were invited into ministry with Jesus and his disciples. They financed the kingdom of God. They were independently wealthy. But I also love this. You have Mary, Joanna, and Susanna. Doesn't that just sound like a gaggle of Southern women? (laughs) I feel like we've got like some Arkansas women right here who are traveling with Jesus. And they're like, what do you need, honey? I got it. I'm gonna pay for that. I'm gonna take care of you and your crew, okay? Just let me come and be a testament to what you've done in my life. And Matthew Henry, if you have read any of uh, his, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Thank you. I was like, concordance? That's not the right one. Commentaries. If you've read any of his commentaries, I want to read to you what he has to say about Mary, Joanna, and Susanna, because this is powerful. He says, They had been Christ's patients and were monuments of his power and mercy they had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities some of them had been troubled in their mind with anxiety had been melancholy in melancholy in deep depression others of them afflicted in their bodies with demons and sickness and to and he had been to them their powerful healer he is the physician of the both the body and the soul and those who have been healed by him ought to study what they shall render to him my goodness these women who traveled with jesus were monuments of his power and his mercy so when they came into town with the savior they didn't just hang back quietly how could you keep that story in I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I'm now I see. I was sick, but now I'm healed. I was enslaved, but I've been set free. These were living monuments to the power and mercy of Jesus, and when He went and did ministry, they did too. Amen. Amen. We're gonna. What I think what you'll find, kind of as we move through uh, Luke, and I just want to like give you just a heads up. There are paragraphs of stories so if I if I make a hard left somewhere it's because we are heading on to a a new paragraph and (coughs) excuse me we are about to get to some of the parables that Jesus spoke and I want to give us just a little bit of a foundation as to why he spoke in parables to this point he has spoken in some illustrations but the parables are about to begin and first of all the first thing I want you to know um, it is easier for us to retain a truth if it comes in the form of a story rather than just a listing of truths, right? You might learn from the first story that I told that a car cigarette lighter is hot, not because I told you that it was hot, but because you remember in the story, I stuck it to the end of my nose and singed the end of my nose before picture day at school, right? It's a little bit easier to remember that truth because it comes in the form of a story. And so Jesus is gonna speak in parables, but the first thing I wanna tell you about the reason he spoke in parables, number one was to fulfill prophecy, Matthew chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, it says, Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden from the creation of the world. If you'd like an Old Testament reference to that, Psalm 78, verse 2. So he spoke in parables to fulfill the prophecy of his own life. Number two, he spoke in parables to both reveal and conceal truth. Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 15. Does anybody in here have a new translation, or new translation, new living translation Bible? New living translation? Anybody? Am I the only one? Okay, do you, yeah, um, Michelle? Michelle? yeah um would you read for us it's five verses hope you're not intimidated by five verses (laughs) but would you read to us Matthew 13 verses 10 through 15 wow so an earlier portion in that passage is actually also quoted in Luke chapter 8 verse 18 if you want to take a look at it And he says this to those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. This is why Jesus is speaking in parables. And you know, the goal of communication is understanding, right? So when we come and we approach the word of God, we are reading it to gain an understanding. But he is saying to those who casually just hear my word, they dismiss it or they're reading my word already forming their rebuttal or bringing excuses. They're not actually listening and listening for the purpose of understanding reveals your heart that your desire is him. But hearing casually or listening while forming your rebuttal, it also reveals your heart, but it reveals that your desire is not actually him. And with Jesus, it's always about the heart. He's always going to bring this back to the heart. He's not, it's not about, are you just listening to what I'm saying? How many mamas in here? How many times have you ever said, are you listening to me? Are you listening to me? Do you hear me? Do you hear me? And you've got a little one who may be on a a device and you're trying to communicate something, but their eyes are on the device, but they may be hearing the words that you're saying, but you know they're not taking them into themselves, right? And so you say, are you paying attention? Are you listening to me? Are you hearing me, right? And he is saying... That those who genuinely approach my word and approach me listening, they are desiring me. They're not approaching the word of God as though it's a buffet where they can take the chocolate pudding but leave the kale salad. They're coming and they're submitting their lives to the word of God and they're saying, My life is an open book for your book to read and I'm going to submit to this so I'm listening. I am seeking after you. Jeremiah 29:13 it says you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. The eyes of the Lord are roaming about through, to and fro throughout the earth seeking whose hearts are fully devoted to him that he may strengthen them. Jesus is looking for who is listening who is listening and this is why he speaks in parables because those who hear in the parables that press in for more understanding more understanding is going to be given to them and an abundance of knowledge is going to be given to them but those who are off put by his parables he knows that they are going to walk away because the desire of their heart was not him Ultimately, when we read the word of God, ladies, our desire is Jesus. It's not just to grow in wisdom or knowledge. It is Jesus. We want him, amen? And so this is why he speaks in parables. I wanna jump to uh, a section that's a little bit further down from this. And this is the moment in chapter, or chapter in verse 22, where Jesus calms the storm. This is, this is a story that's in three verses. This is three verses, but a huge lifetime lesson for all of us. God has something really powerful packed in here. And I want to read this to you. He says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Remember, that's what he said from the very beginning. Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and they started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came down on the lake and the boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. And then he asked them, where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Don't you love that? They have two emotions going on here. I think we can identify with this a little bit. They are terrified and amazed at what they are seeing. And they say, who is this man? They ask each other, who when he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. This moment, see Jesus Jesus had already gotten in the boat with them and said, let's go across to the other side. The word of God had already come and said, this is not our permanent position. We're going to the other side. But then all of the sudden, they're going about their journey. They're going about their life. And the physical facts pop up that are difficult and that look contrary to what Jesus has already said. And maybe for you, it's a report. Maybe it's a pathology report you did not expect, but Jesus has already spoken you're going to the other side. Maybe we have some dear friends who just lost their home in a house fire. Maybe you didn't expect it, but Jesus has already said you're going to the other side. Maybe your bank account is empty. Your marriage feels broken. Your relationship with your children is hard and it is strained. Those are the physical facts, but there is something else at play in this story. On the, on the phone with Amber's oncology nurse this past week, she reminded me of something very powerful. And she said, Heather, this is what the report says, but Dr. Burton is well aware that there's another factor on the table here. And that is, is that God still works miracles. Amen. The reality of Jesus, he still works miracles. Miracles and ladies, what I want to say is we are called as believers to fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen, for what is seen is temporary. But what is unseen is eternal. What we see with our eyes in a moment, our lives are the shortest measurement and speck of time on the backdrop of all eternity. This moment is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And for us to fix our eyes on what is unseen doesn't mean that we deny what our eyes are seeing. Because the Bible, it's really important that we get this. The Bible says the boat was filling with water and they were in real danger. It's not denying what we see with our eyes. But when we fix our eyes on what is unseen, that means that we are living with the revelation of a greater reality. And that greater reality is Jesus is in the boat. Jesus is alive. Jesus holds the authority. Jesus is the one who sees us, who qualifies us, who says, I've already told you you're going to the other side. Jesus is the greater reality. He is alive. Death is a lie. Heaven is real. We know we are going to the other side, but we have an invitation in this story. When God has spoken what it is that he is going to do and life happens as it does, We have the opportunity to either settle our eyes on what the current situation is or to lift our eyes to the revelation of the greater reality, and the greater reality is Jesus. Amen? Amen. We're gonna move to verse number 40. This is gonna be the last portion of this chapter. It's a really important moment. That happens here. Jesus, you know that the disciples, they were in the boat, they got to the other side, and you know what happened when they got to the other side? Well, if you've read it, then you're aware, or you can kind of quickly look and see what happens. Jesus exercises authority over demons, and he's they're met when they get to that other side that he said they were going to. They're met by the demoniac, and he's naked, and he's been hanging out in graveyards, so he is ceremonially unclean. Nobody really wants to be around him. Um, and he comes up to Jesus, and Jesus has this moment and he speaks to him, and he he was like, We are called legion for we there are many talking about the demons that were in him and Jesus casts out the demons into a herd of pigs and they jump off the cliff into the water and they drown. And then all of the people of the town show up and they see the man sitting there in his right mind, fully clothed, and they hear what has happened and they were so terrified by what happened that they asked Jesus to leave. Can you imagine that? This man who for years has been the crazy guy in the graveyard naked, sits there fully clothed in his right mind and everyone is so terrified that they want Jesus to leave. Man. So Jesus obliges, he gets back in the boat and they're headed back across the Sea of Galilee, right? And The the Bible says that the people were waiting for him on the other side. I love that. You've got such a stark dichotomy right here. You got the people who were terrified by all he did. They wanted him to leave. And then you've got the people who are desperate. They are on the shores and they're waiting for him to come back, right? And this is where we meet a man who is a leader in the local church, and his name is Jairus. Jairus comes up to Jesus. He falls at Jesus' feet. He's pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. And Jesus went with him. He was surrounded by the crowds. And a woman in the crowd who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure, coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus said, Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, there's a whole crowd pressing up against you. He's like, we all touched you. What are you talking about? Who touched you? And Jesus says, someone deliberately touched me. They deliberately touched me. This was on purpose, right? They came expecting something and they touched me. And I felt the healing power leave my body because they touched me deliberately. Who was it? And then it says, When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell on her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she was immediately healed. Daughter, Jesus said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. What is happening right here is what scholars call a Markan sandwich right? We have the beginning of a story and then another story scoots in between the two pieces of bread like the meat, right? And it sits there and then the rest of the story is going to be resumed and we're going to see the resolution of the first story, right? So why are these two stories put together? There's actually a lot of reason that these two stories happen together. It's so powerful. So Jesus, he's on his way to raise a little girl who is 12 years old from the dead. And a woman with a 12-year-old issue of blood comes up behind him and deliberately touches him. Can you imagine? This woman, according to Leviticus chapter 15, this woman is ceremonially unclean, meaning that everything she sits on is unclean. We're talking about menstrual blood at this point. Everything she sits on is unclean. Every bed she lays on is unclean. If people touch her, they are considered unclean, at least until sundown. They have to go ceremonially cleanse themselves in a pool, suburban all the way under the water at one time and so this woman can you imagine for 12 years has lived with people backing away from her no one wanted to touch her no one everyone knew the issue that she was carrying around and they knew that if the unclean woman touched them she would transfer her uncleanliness to them right? So she had lived with no human, can you imagine? Even if you're not a touch person, 12 years with no physical contact with a person she is isolated she is hidden away she doesn't want to be seen you have to imagine that at some point she's like it's better for me to just stay in my house than go out and and watch the people scatter away from me as I walk around this woman and all that she carried she mustered up her courage because as the church was going to progress as uh, the Jewish culture was going to move forward this could have been punishable by death what she did She deliberately walked in with her lack of cleanliness and went to touch someone. That was punishable, but she knew there is a greater reality present and he is my only hope. He is the only hope that I have to save my life. And so she presses into a crowd, a crowd of people who would know that at her testimony, some of them bumped up against her, making them ceremonially ceremonially unclean. So Jesus did a very public work and he brought her out of the shadows and she realized she could not stay hidden any longer. And the most amazing thing happened instead of her uncleanliness, transferring to the holy man, transferring to Jesus, his wholeness transferred to her. And all of the sudden, the bleeding stopped. She was ceremonially clean. But do you know what he was doing in this moment? He looked at her and he said, daughter, This woman who hadn't been touched for 12 years, who had not been able to be with family touching her in 12 years, she's cut off from community. She's cut off from relationships. She is starved of affection and attention and touch. And Jesus comes in and the unnamed, unclean woman is cleansed and then named a term of intimacy. Daughter, you are near to me. He's saying, you're not just close to my proximity. You're of my blood now. You're of my blood now. That blood stopped and my blood has started. And so Jesus, he picks up and he continues on from this moment and he goes to the home of Jairus, but he hears a messenger come and say, don't bother the teacher anymore. The little girl's dead. And Jesus looks at that daddy and he says, just have faith and she will be healed. And so he arrives at the house. He didn't let anyone except Peter, John, and James and the little girl's father and mother go in with him. The house was filled with people wailing, but he said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead. She's only asleep. And everyone in the house starts laughing because they know she's dead, right? Then Jesus took the little girl by the hand Do you realize this little girl being dead is ceremonially unclean also? He takes the little girl by the hand and he says, Talitha kum to her, daughter, arise. And the little girl sits up and then God bless him, he says, feed her some food. Amen, give the girl a sandwich, everybody. Um, I'm here for this, Jesus, thank you. Raise me, heal me and give me a meal, amen. And so... Her, her parents, they're overwhelmed. Jesus insisted that they not say anything about it, right? His, he, is, he is going to let each individual moment of revelation happen person to person with him, right? And so they have their moment and all this, but, but can I just explain to you? We have a woman with a 12-year issue of blood and a daughter who is 12 years old. They have both reached the end of a 12-year period Biblically, the number 12 represents the perfect government of Jesus. It's why you have the 12 tribes of Israel. It's a perfect government. The 12 disciples, it's a perfect government of Jesus. And in this moment, both women encounter the perfect government of Jesus. It steps into their life and takes authority over the false government that had had control on both of their lives. He raised both of them back to life. His rule and his reign, his authority stepped into their world and it changed everything. Both women had been ceremonially unclean. Both women were not allowed to be touched without defiling the one who had touched them. Both women were isolated. Both women were unnamed. Both were at the end of a 12-year period, but step Jesus into the boat with them both women were touched both women were raised to life both women were restored to community both of them were called daughter both received the perfect rule and reigned the authority of jesus and both of their sicknesses had to bow to his authority both of these women and what i also love about this is this is the representation of multi-generations we have the woman who is older We don't know how old she was, but she's certainly uh, beyond the years of just general menstruation. So we know she's a woman, woman. And then we have a child here and Jesus steps into both of their circumstances. Listen, Jesus (laughs) loves the generations. There's so much value in every generation that is present and he is saying, Talitha kum, daughters, arise. I don't care what your age is. I don't care what the situation is. I don't care what the report is. When my government steps into your world, I am saying it's time for you to arise because I've said you're going to the other side despite what your eyes may see. Daughters, arise. This is the time. And what I love about Jesus, there's something that is indicated by how he treats the women, how he treats Mary Magdalene. He forgives her and her sins were many. Then he, excuse me, he takes her into ministry with him. Then he encounters the woman with the issue of blood. Then he encounters the dead daughter how he is treating the women here. It is very clear when you go through the rest of the gospels, Jesus never allowed women to stay hidden. He never allowed them to stay hidden. He brought them out into the light when that woman with the issue of blood realized she could no longer stay hidden. It exposed the goodness of Jesus to everyone. Hear me when I say to you that God never wants his daughters to stay hidden. He is bringing you into the light so that your life can be the display of His mercy and His power to the world. It is the living testament of Jesus. He sees you. He values you. He qualifies you. He heals you. He brings you into community. He takes your sin. He takes your sickness. He takes your facts and your reports and your storms, and He makes you monuments of His power and of His mercy not because of anything that we have done, but because of all that he has done. And our boast is in Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is our greater reality. What he says goes and women, he has chosen you. How remarkable Jesus has chosen you. How beautiful. I wanted for us to take a moment and I, I know Holden's going to get this ready. I don't know about you ladies. I cannot, when I, when I read the way that Jesus valued women and I understand that it's his value of me, that he saw me, I was the woman who was dead. I was the woman with the issue of blood. I was the woman who was falling at his feet, whose sins had been many. I was her. And when I encountered the government of Jesus, when I encountered his rule and his reign and his authority, and I think of all that he has done, I cannot hold my worship back. And I thought, what would be a more appropriate response to what we have just read, knowing that this was us, but that we have a moment in the presence of Jesus to worship him. So ladies, I just want to ask you to stand to your feet, Holden is going to play a song. It may be newer. It's a song called Gratitude by Brandon Lake. And I just want us to remember, if, it, if not for grace, if not for Jesus, we would be the dead little girl. We would be the girl that was away from community. We would be the girl that was lost in sin, but Jesus, amen. So come on, let's worship. Amen.
1: So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again, cause all that I have is a heart. With my arms stretched wide
0: Heavenly Father we have nothing else fit for a king but to sing hallelujah for all that you have done For the way that you have seen us and valued us and lifted us from infirmity, from separation, from sickness, for all that you have done, bestowing value and honor in our lives by your sacrifice alone, Jesus, what can we say but hallelujah? we give you our affection and i pray that our worship would be costly and expensive and extravagant for how how could we stop i don't have enough to give to you jesus but i give you the honor i give you the glory because none of this has been accomplished by my name by my will or by anything in me it's all you jesus and so your daughters arise and we call you blessed